0: Destination next. We're moving forward. I want to start with a question. What is the single scariest word to you? Is it dentist? Maybe it's taxes. For some people, it might be public speaking. That's a hyphenated word, but you know what I mean. Um, I think many of us, the single scariest word is change. And experts tell us that that's true for a number of reasons. One, is change comes with a um, a fear of the unknown, a loss of control. Change comes with, uh, it could be painful, it could be uncomfortable. Change comes with the risk of, of making a mistake or failure. Oftentimes with change, there comes the need for extra effort. So change is definitely one of those things that brings about stress and anxiety in many, many people. But at the same time, it is central to the Christian faith, central to the Christian faith. I've said this before, and I will, um, I'll say it again, that when those of us who choose to enter into a relationship with Jesus, he changes us forever. We are changed forever and forever changing. And what I mean by that is when we enter into that relationship with Jesus, our eternities are changed. Our destination is set, our destiny is secure. And that's something that only Jesus can do. We can't do it for ourselves. Nobody else can do it for us. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he opened up the door to that relationship that changes us forever. He also provides this ongoing change that keeps us forever changing, that keeps us growing into the people that he dreamt of long ago before we were even born, the people who we were created to be. And I believe he does that for two reasons. One, he does that to um, facilitate the process of bringing heaven to earth through us. As he changes us, he brings change through us. And also to get us ready to spend eternity with him in heaven. So make no mistake about it, Jesus is all about change. Right from the very, very beginning of, of his ministry, he was letting people know that. I'm here to bring change. It's going to be scary. It might be hard. It's definitely going to be hard, but it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I want to read to you from um, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, just, just one verse. This is just as Jesus was coming on the scene and he was announcing what he was going to do. The time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now that phrase, repent, man, it's loaded with baggage, right? I think in terms of movies, and when I, when I see that word, repent, I think of like apocalyptic disaster movies and there's people running everywhere and there's usually like one guy with the sandwich board on It says, the end is near, repent. It's usually a little disheveled looking, kind of crazy looking. Or if that, if, you know, maybe, maybe the thought comes to mind of like the street preacher with the bullhorn just yelling at you that you're gonna burn forever if you don't repent kind of thing. I don't think that is how Jesus' original audience received that. I think it was challenging, no doubt. Convicting, no doubt. But when we look at the original language, I think it's eye-opening, right? The original language for repent and believe is this. It's a change of heart and mind that leads to a change of attitude and action. It's an invitation to a change of heart and mind that leads to a change of attitude and action. That's what that means. So right off the bat, the very beginning of what some scholars think was the first gospel that was written, the gospel of Mark, Jesus comes on and says, repent and believe. Change on the inside that leads to change on the outside. Jesus taught change, and he brought change. We're going to take a look at a passage in the gospel of Luke as we unpack this idea of change forever, forever changing. We're going to look at at Luke chapter 5, and we're gonna start in verse 27. Ben, could you help? There we go. Uh, Go ahead and you control these. It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in a tax booth. Okay, little context. This, right before this, Jesus was teaching and preaching to a very large crowd. Crowd was so big that People were just, they were jammed in this house. People couldn't get to him. There were a group of friends who had a friend who was paralyzed, and they wanted Jesus to heal him. Climb up on the roof, carve a hole in the roof, lower the guy down. Not only does Jesus, like Jesus starts by forgiving his sins. He tells them, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders hear this, and they're like, who are you? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus is like, I know what you're thinking. right? Just so you know that I am the one who can forgive sins. Go ahead, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. He healed, forgave the guy's sins, and he healed him. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he's letting the religious leaders know, first big change, huge change, is that God is walking among them. And they don't know what to do with it. It kind of freaks them out. All right. So uh, Jesus went out, saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then, Levi held... I got him. Then, Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and the others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, "'Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners?' So, at this point in time, here's another change that Jesus is bringing. The religious leaders believed that there were groups of people who were outside of the love of God. Not only were they outside of the love of God, but they interfered with other people experiencing the love of God, right? That they were unclean. Jesus shows up and he says, That's not how we're gonna do things. We're gonna change this, right? not only am i not gonna wait for them to clean themselves up and come to the temple or come to the synagogue i'm gonna go to them and meet them where they're at this is a huge change that jesus brought jesus answered them it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick jesus is talking about the spiritually sick and this is all of us. Unfortunately, every single person is affected by this, and you don't need to look far to see how, and I want you to think specifically in terms of relationships, right? Every single relationship that we have is affected by this illness. The relationships that we have between each other, the relationship that we have with God, even the relationship that we have with God's creation is sideways. It's all jacked up because of this illness that we have. Jesus came to restore those relationships he came to live among us to show us what those relationships are supposed to look like to change sickness to health sickness to health i have not come to call the righteous but the sinners to repentance they said all right so look jesus changed who he was going to and he explained it to them so they quick the the, the religious leaders quick come back at him again all right we don't know what to do with who he's going to let's talk to him about what he's doing They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking, Jesus answered. Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. At this point in the history of the people of God, God only required or originally, sorry, God required two days of fasting throughout the year. Two, two days. And fasting was uh, associated with sadness and mourning and a, a spirit of contriteness and remorse. The religious leaders turned that into two days a week. Two days a week. And they... Um, it kind of became like this spiritual arrogance self righteous kind of thing they when they were fasting, they let people know that they were fasting look at look at me, look at me doing my my religious thing and they we, um, they did that when my kids were young, we had this phrase right if they were they looked like they were upset or they were they were angry, they would make these little these little faces and be like, Why are you making scrunchy face right so the the Pharisees and the religious leaders would scrunch up their faces while they were fasting, and that's how people would know, right? Life with Jesus is not supposed to be scrunchy-faced drudgery. Life with Jesus is joy. Even in our hardest moments, right? The God of the universe wants to be with us. That life with Jesus is supposed to be joyful. Jesus comes on the scene, and he takes this religious drudgery, right? The fasting... And he changes it to feasting. Right? So we're going from sickness to health. We're going from feasting, so, sorry, from fasting to feasting. He told them this parable. He's going to emphasize the change that he's bringing. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the, the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins... The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. All right, so Jesus gives us two more images here, right, of the the cloth being torn, right? It's, it's an image of going from broken to whole and of the wineskins bursting. It's, a, it's an image of going from empty to full these are the the changes that jesus wants to bring unfortunately the people of god then the people of god now don't respond well to change they the way that they've always done things just like that's our way we don't we, that's that's the right way because we've always we've always done it that way and i think it's a little bit is human nature and i think for whatever reason communities of faith are are especially susceptible to it and so what jesus is doing when he's when he makes this statement here about after old wine um, no one wants the new for they say the old is better jesus is actually saying this is a mistake right there's no such thing as the good old days sometimes sometimes an old purpose needs a, a new practice Right, sometimes an old message needs a new method. Right, nothing was changing about the message that Jesus was bringing. God wants a relationship with His people. It's just the way that that was going to happen that Jesus came to change. Still today, God wants a relationship with His people. Sometimes we need to change the way we do things in order to make that happen. Lots and lots of change, right? Who Jesus was going to, the, how the work of God was getting done, from sickness to health, from brokenness to wholeness, from fasting to feasting, from, new to, from old to new, lots and lots of change. Jesus is all about change. So what does, what does that look like? Biblically, what does that look like? What specifically does Jesus change? Scripture tells us he gives us a new heart, We're born with a heart of stone that he replaces with a heart of flesh, right? We're given, the Old Testament gave laws written on tablets of stone. The new law is written on our heart in the blood of Jesus. The new heart we get is a heart for Jesus and for his people. He gives us a new mind that's supposed to be set on things above, that new mind shaped by scripture and prayer through the Holy Spirit by other people as we pursue Jesus together. He gives us new eyes that allow us to see the world through him, right? We, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and see the world through him, not the other way around. We don't view Jesus through the eyes of the world. And finally, he gives us new hands that propel us and enable us to do everything as if we were doing it for him. That's the kind of the changing forever part. That's while we're here, that's while we're walking around on earth, when we meet Jesus in eternity, there's going to be even more changes. Right? Scripture tells us in Corinthians that we get a new body. The word that the scripture uses is imperishable. No more broken bones, no more sickness, no more illness, no more Botox, no more tummy tucks, no more endless hours of cardio. We get a new imperishable body. And we get new relationships. In the book of Revelation, Jesus talks about no more tears, and so often, so often, the cause of our tears is our heartbreak over someone that we're in a relationship with or a heartbreak that someone causes in us, right? All those relationships are going to be made new. In the book of Revelation, um, the, the Apostle John writes it this way. This, he's talking about Jesus and what he's going to do when we're all together in eternity. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus is all about change. And I'm going to push pause right now because I want us to take the time in the midst of this conversation about change to celebrate communion because that's what Jesus asked us to do right? He said, remember me. When you do this, when you share this bread and you share this cup, remember all the change that I've brought and all the change that I want to bring. He actually uses that change language, and we're going to use it in a little bit when we take the bread and we take the cup. So here's what's going to happen. Here at Crossroads, right, communion is not about membership or anything like that. It's about your relationship with Jesus, and if if you've stepped into that relationship and you believe in the things that he said and did and the things that he still says and does, you t- take communion with us, celebrate communion with us. So the, um, Ben and Owen are gonna just play on their instruments for a little bit and I want you to take some time and I want you to think, maybe this is your time to step into that eternity changing relationship. Maybe you've been in that relationship for a long time and you have lots of things to be thankful for, lots of things that Jesus changed in your life. Maybe you have some days coming up, things that you know need to change, and you're going to need Jesus' help to change those things. Just take this time and, and reflect on how Jesus is the ultimate change agent, and he wants to bring change to you for your good and for the glory of God. So Jesus is the ultimate change agent that changes us forever keeps us forever changing he does that for individuals and he does that for groups of people who come together in an effort to follow him to love him to worship him right we call those we call those churches he brings change not only to individuals but he also brings change to churches i want to read you a quote from a pastor and author named john corson When people try to put something of a new moving of the Lord into an old structure, they end up not only quenching the wine of the Spirit, but blowing apart the structure and the process. Right? Quenching the wine of the spirit is just like churchy words for getting in the way of the work that God wants to do. Right? That doesn't mean that God's work is gonna be stopped. It's just gonna happen a different way. And those particular people may not get to experience the blessing that that comes through that. This applies to people individually as well as churches corporately. Unwilling to face the difficulty or challenge of change, they burst, like the wineskin, right? They give up, go back to predictability of their previous ways where they can go to church occasionally, put a dollar in the offering, and play the game. Yikes, dude. Really? It's a little harsh, right? I mean, I am really, really pleased and proud of the way that Crossroads has handled all the change that we've been through in the last three years as individuals and, uh, and as a community, right? Some of the changes we, st- like we brought about ourselves. Intentionally, we stepped into that change. Some of things were forced, forced upon us, but by and large, I thought everybody responded really, really well. So then I kind of calmed down a little bit and I stopped being defensive and I read the quote again. And I think... I imagine that Jesus' original audience, especially the religious people, the religious leaders, probably would have heard Jesus' words very similarly to the way that I received this quote. Right. Let's look at some of those strong, strong words that Jesus used. That word old, it's not just old chronologically, but it means obsolete. The word new, not just new in sequence, but it means superior in quality. That word torn, the it's from... Um, the original is where we get our term schizophrenia. Schizo means violently divided. That word burst is not just like a, a leaking little dribble; it means to rush forth. And then the word ruined means to render something useless. Useless. It's really strong language that Jesus used in that parable to communicate the idea of how important change is and how significant how significant it is. So that sounds like a lot, right? And um, it it is. And it's only through Jesus working in and through us that change like that can happen. But we can absolutely 100% trust Jesus to lead us into change. Trust Jesus to lead us into change. And there's a couple of reasons why, why I think that. Um, Jesus, in his sovereignty, right, according to his plan, he has this particular group of people, when he wants us, where he wants us, with a specific work to do that he prepared a long time ago. And as I read scripture, scripture points in that direction. And as I look at our circumstances, um, it lines up with where scripture is taking us. Look at our like the specific timing, right? I was gonna say we're in a post-pandemic phase. Feels maybe a little bit like we're in the fourth quarter of the pandemic. I don't know. But the the timing, the consequences of just the, you know, some people were able to grow and had positive experiences that came through the last 18 months. Many, many people were negatively impacted and suffered under the what was going on with, with COVID. The social unrest, the political upheaval, the anger, the division, the the animosity, much of it deserved towards the church. Unique, unique time in history that God has placed us. God has also placed some really uh, unique technology at our disposal. We were able to continue to gather for worship in an environment where we weren't allowed to gather for worship. Our, our reach expanded from Canada to North Carolina to Indiana to Virginia to all over the Northeast. Not only did our worship experiences grow, but it made um, our local family, it gave our local family greater flexibility and connectivity to how we meet. People who weren't able to participate in groups participated in groups. People who weren't able to go to meetings got to, got to go to meetings because of this technology right as we continue, I've been referring to it our hybrid model of both in-person and digital gatherings. This is another one of the things that is, that is lining up towards where God has us going and and finally, I would suggest to you that our geography, right or our location is another thing that lets me know that we can trust Jesus to lead us into change. We were more or less forced out of Frenchtown when the lockdown hit. That was our home for, for 12 years. Not only did God provide us with one place to meet, he provided us with two places to meet. Not only did he provide us with multiple locations in which to meet, but those locations are in the very center of our most densely populated geographies. Right? When, you, when you look at the timing of things, when you look at the technology, when you look at our locations... Jesus has got us where he wants us and when he wants us. I also want you to think about the fact that Jesus as a change change agent has unlimited resources. We are finite people, and we are constrained by things like finances and clock and calendar and circumstances. And so the best we can do is to honor the God of unlimited resources, and the way we do that is diligently caring for the resources that he has entrusted to us. And we do that in a couple of ways, right? We, um, we diligently care for the mission and the vision that he's given Crossroads. We honor him by a relentless pursuit of loving God and loving others, by building communities in our area in Trumbull and Stratford and the surrounding areas that help people come to know and grow in Jesus in a way that draws others to do the same thing. We honor God by diligently pursuing our vision and our mission. We honor the God of unlimited resources by, um, by not asking you to center your lives around church activities. Instead we would ask you to center your lives around Jesus and let him prioritize everything that you do, all of your activities, work, school, social, at home, in your neighborhood, that that Jesus would be the thing that you center everything around. And finally, we honor the people resources that God entrusted to us. So I'm not going to ask a volunteer force that is significantly less than it was prior to COVID. Right? We have less people volunteering right now than we did before COVID. That's for a variety of reasons. All right? Some people have just gotten out of the habit of going to church. They're of participating in, in what is going on. Some people have chosen to pursue their faith in other locations and that's okay. It's not a huge number but it has it has happened. Um, And some people are still part of Crossroads, but for whatever reason, they're just not volunteering. So I'm not going to ask that smaller number of volunteers to do what a volunteer force three times its size used to do. So what does that mean? That means that there might be some things that we do less of. It definitely means that there will be things that we do differently. And as we move through this year of transition, coming out of COVID and at this unique time, and God brings more resources our way, we will continue to change and to do things that honor the God of unlimited resources. All right. So what is the end result of all this change that Jesus brings? First and foremost, it's glory to God, right? The, the, that, the change that Jesus brings in and through us as individuals and as a community would point a bright, clear light at God in a way that causes everybody to see and believe. Also, that we would be a people who could recognize the voice and the work of God in a way that reminds us of who he created us to be, in a way that reminds us how he feels about us, the love that he has for us. That we would be an individual, individuals in a community that could recognize the voice and the work of God in a way that is actionable, that we would do something about what we hear or read or understand. And finally, that, that recognizing, knowing the voice of God would lead us, drive us, compel us to intentionally, sacrificially invest in other people. So what is it that God is saying to you about change? Maybe today is the day that Jesus changes your eternal destiny. Maybe today is the day that Jesus helps you bring about change in somebody else's life. Maybe today is the day that Jesus taps you on the shoulder and says, you know, that group of people that you kind of think those things about should probably change that. Maybe today is the day that you recognize that the work of God might possibly be able to happen in a way that you didn't think of. Jesus is the God of change. He will change everything. He will make everything new. He changes us forever, and he keeps us forever changing. And that is a good thing.